Oh, my goodness. God's good. I love being in his house. I love worshiping, praising, and just being in his presence. There's nothing like it. Nothing like it at all. Um, I also wanted to, uh, you know, I didn't mention this earlier. Won't you guys remember Steve Shrum and his family? His brother had passed away this week, so keep them in your prayers um, throughout this time and the grieving time going ahead. And also, I just wanted to thank you again. Uh, you know, last week you guys voted and you entrusted me uh, in leading Orchardville Church, and I am grateful and thankful for this opportunity. And I will do my best uh, to care for you, to pastor you, to feed you from his holy word each week, and, and do life together. And we'll follow the Holy Spirit the whole time. I promise you I'll do my best to do that. So Sarah and I are grateful for this opportunity, and we will honor God in that the best that we can. You guys are our family. We love you. And let's do this. Enough of... <laughs> Enough of the stuff that doesn't focus on Jesus. Let's just go forward and do everything that God would have us to do because so many people need the gospel of Jesus in their life. They need to hear the good news. Amen? And again, I, I, I reiterate, if there's anything that doesn't have to do with that and you just want to gripe and complain about stuff, just squash it. Ask yourself, is this going to build the kingdom of God? And if it is, come talk to me about it. If it isn't, get back on board with what we're doing as a church. Amen? All right, let's go. This morning, God has the final word. We're going to be in 1 Kings 17, verses 17 through 24. God has the final word. 1 Kings 17, 17 through 24. And while you're getting there this morning, it will be on the screen, but as you're turning there, I want to just give a little background that God had been feeding Elijah leading up to this during a time of drought. He was fed by ravens, and then he said to go find a widow in Zarephath and ask her to feed you. He gets there, and he sees her, and she was like, I don't, I don't have enough to feed you. I have enough for me and my son to eat one last meal, and then we're going to die. Elijah isn't, he's not really baffled by that. He's like, don't be afraid. Just do as I ask you to do and make a little bread first. Make me a little bread first. Then use what's left to prepare a meal for yourself and your son. The God of Israel says there will always be flour. There's always going to be olive oil left in your containers until the Lord sends rain and crops grow again. So she did this, and she and her son and Elijah ate. They kept eating every day. So that's where we land now in chapter 17, verses 17 through 24. God has the final word. Now it happened after these things that the son of the woman who owned the house became sick. And his sickness was so serious that there was no breath left in him. So she said to Elijah, What have I to do with you, O man of God? Have you come to me to bring my sin to remembrance and to kill my son? And he said to her, give me your son. So he took him out of her arms and carried him to the upper room where he was, where he was staying and laid him on his own bed. Then he cried out to the Lord and said, O oh Lord, my God, have you also brought tragedy on the widow with whom I lodge by killing her son? And he stretched himself out on the child three times and cried out to the Lord and said, O oh Lord, my God, I pray, let this child's soul come back to him. Then the Lord heard the voice of Elijah, 
And the soul of the child came back to him, and he revived. And Elijah took the child and brought him down from the upper room into the house and gave him to his mother. And Elijah said, See, your son lives. Then the woman said to Elijah, Now by this I know that you are a man of God, and that the word of the Lord in your mouth is the truth. God has the final word. God has the final word. Let's pray before we get into this morning. Father, I just, again, thank you for who you are. I thank you for your presence. I ask, Father, that you use me as a vessel to bring your word this morning. Speak through me, God. Let it touch hearts. Let it change situations this morning, God. And I just praise you and I thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. The first thing I want to say this morning is that our greatest victories may soon be followed by our greatest challenges. We can see victories happen, and then right after that, sometimes, maybe you've experienced this yourself, I know I have, right after you experience a great victory in your life and God comes through, you face a challenge right after that. Something comes up, and before you know it, you're back in a valley again and you're dealing with something. You know, she had just seen the miracle of being fed day after day in a drought with God's promise and provision. Now this... Her son gets sick and dies. She went from plenty full to plenty empty in a hurry. Dealing with this struggle right after she was on a spiritual high. Her son becomes ill. He grows worse and worse and then he dies. And again, have you had this happen in your life? You've seen it happen where, man, that was so awesome. God did some great things and I turn around and boom. The enemy hits me in the face again with something else that I have to struggle with, something else that I'm dealing with, some kind of battle that comes up in life. And we get in this place of desperation again before we know it, and we're calling on the name of the Lord. Desperate times, when we get in these, they can be powerful times where God speaks into our lives if we'll allow him to do that. Desperate times can be powerful times where God speaks into our lives. I'm going to share a story that, you know, some of you guys have maybe heard, but it goes along right with this, this passage that I'm preaching out of this morning, and that's the story of our son Jackson. Um, before he was born, we had prayed for a child, and God blessed us with a pregnancy. So there's victory, there's joy, there's happiness in God providing. But that child, we miscarried. And I told you, there's, there's victories and things that happen, and you're, and you're way up here, and then you turn around and something happens, and you're way back down here. And we miscarried our first child. So right there, we're back in the middle of a challenge. You know, and a lot of times when we go through things and struggles and we have to deal with stuff, sometimes we blame God. Amen? Why did, why did this happen? We prayed for a child. We, you blessed us with a child, and now the child's gone. So we're in the middle of this battle of not having our firstborn child and miscarrying. But then God blesses again. Six months down the road, Jackson comes along, praising God and thanking him for his faithfulness, still not maybe understanding why things had to happen the way they did, but knowing that God's in control and God understands better than we do on things. So Jackson comes along again. We're excited. We're in this moment, the season of victory. Oh, yes, Lord, we we thank you. We praise you for our son. 
And then he's got a heart defect back down in the valley again. Desperate times can be powerful times when we hear God speaking into our lives. They flew Jackson over to Cardinal Glennon. We're in the middle of this trial now, not knowing what's going on. Flew him over there. We didn't find out till later they actually lost him in the helicopter ride over. No pulse. But God has the final word. And we, we were praying and, and confused and all kinds of emotions going on and not understanding what was happening, but uh, in the middle of it, did I represent God the best way in the middle of it all the time? I'm here to tell you I did not. I was angry. I let those frustrations show at times. Um, but Sarah and I came to the realization that night that he was over there for the first night that the only way we were going to get through this this challenge, this difficulty, this battle was to rely on God, no matter what, um, no matter what. And through the next few years, the first few years of his life, he dealt with a lot of struggles and surgeries and all kinds of things. But here we are today, and we have an amazing 16-year-old son sitting on the front row of Orchardville Church. Because God has the final word. And in that helicopter ride over, God decided, Jackson Hayes, I'm not done with you. I've got more for you. I've got things for you to do. And he gave his final word over him and saved him. And I know, you know, we've all got stories where that hasn't happened and that we still got struggles and we still have questions on things. But God has the final word. God gives, God takes away. It's, it's all in his control. He owns it all. He understands it all. He knows it all. Um, he's over it all. He has the final word. So, so back to our story this morning. Elijah takes the lifeless boy from the widow, and I'm sure she's clutching him and holding on to him tight. And he takes the boy, and he heads to the upper room of the house, and he lays across the boy's body. Now, I'm not, I'm not saying this is the way you should pray for people. This is the way he did it then in desperation. I don't really think it was how he prayed. It was who he was praying to for why God answered and why God answers. But he lays across the boy and he begins to pray to the one true God who has always, always, always provided for him. And three times he prays this. He says, Oh Lord, my God, please let this child's life return to him. Three times. And the Lord heard his prayer and the life of the child returned. God's resurrection power displayed God has the final word. I'm going to repeat that over and over this morning because sometimes in the middle of our battles, in the middle of our struggles, we forget that God is in control and his word is what's final, not the circumstance, not the struggle. It's his word that's final. And we have to understand that. The widow teaches us a few things in this story. and She teaches us that in desperate times, we have to see what God is revealing to us, not shut him out. We have to see what he still wants to reveal to us in the midst of the struggle. And that's difficult because in the midst of it, we want to try to fix it instead of seeing what God's revealing to us through it. And she also shows us that desperate times cause us to examine ourselves. 
Desperate times will, will make us either bitter or better. How many have been on the bitter side when something happens? Don't you be lying in church. I've been there. When we go through things, sometimes we get bitter instead of getting better through them. We want to lash out and we don't want anybody to mess with us and we want to say mean things to people because we're in the middle of a struggle and we hold on to this bitterness instead of, you know, I'm a firm believer now with what I've been through with him, with what we've been through in different things in life, that God is always going to use an opportunity for me to go through something to make me a better person on the other side of it. I'm convinced of that, that there's always something to learn in the midst of a trial. What does he want to teach me in this? It, it hurts sometimes, and it always doesn't go like I want to, but he can make us better as we go through things. From Elijah, what can we learn? In desperate times, direct your focus and attention and prayers to God. Now, this goes back to, oh, it's the problem, it's the problem, it's the problem. But if we will direct our attention and our focus and our prayers on him, that changes everything in the middle of it. And I know that's difficult to do. I just admitted to you that that's not the first thing I did. I cussed out God in a waiting room instead of going to him in prayer. Glad he could handle it. Because when I look back on that now and I tell that story, I'm kind of embarrassed that that's the way I acted growing up in church all my life in the middle, in the heat of the moment, I was yelling at God. I could have saved myself, I guess, the embarrassment, that moment, if I would have treated that second like I did about four hours later when Sarah and I prayed together and said that God's the only one that's going to get us through this. But I learned. I wasn't to not be bitter, but let's get better through it. So Elijah teaches us to direct our focus and attention and prayers to God. Don't respond with the blame game. Here's another thing. In this, in this widow's mind, and, and she had to be, I mean, we've read it in the scripture, she was being negative. Why'd you bring this upon me? You came here to just to, to kill my son. And Elijah, what's, what's really neat in this is he doesn't just pray right there in front of her because she's mad, she's upset, she's playing that blame game, she's being negative. He takes the boy out of there to the upper room. And I, and I think, too, in desperate times, what Elijah teaches us here is we need to get away from the naysayers and the negative talkers and go somewhere else and be with God. When we pray for people, if there's any doubt in your mind that God can heal like he did in the days of Jesus walking the earth, then please don't come up here. And that, well, that's mean, Rick. I don't want somebody doubting that God can heal praying for people that are looking for healing. Call me crazy. I've heard things said in churches before, not too long ago, that when you, when you pray over somebody, yeah, we know God can, but sometimes he doesn't. I, you really think the person that you're praying for wants to hear that? I'm going to pray for you and I hope God heals you, but I don't know. Man, I want, to believe, I want to believe like Jesus believed. That the power of God is in each one of us as believers. The Holy Spirit powers within us. 
to do even greater things that Jesus did as he walked in the earth. So when we lay hands on people, we expect an impartation of the Holy Spirit in them to be healed. For, for, I'm tired of seeing lifeless churches that aren't seeing that happen, that are okay with just showing up and having some cool songs and a, and a catchy little message that you remember something from, and then going home. I would much rather have salvations, healings, and miracles and encounters with God than any of that stuff that goes on. What happened with Lila, with Floyd and Melva, that was God showing up. Can I tell the story? Is that okay? One scan shows an abscess on her liver. Kidney, kidney sorry. <laughs> tell, me with, tell with me. On her kidney, two days, three days later, later in the week, they scan again. And guess what God did? We don't see anything. I saw it on this one, but we just did this scan and there's nothing. That's God. No other way to explain it. And, 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 her, and her kidney functions are perfect, right where they need to be. That's God. That's healing. So back to what I was talking about. You gotta, sometimes you've got to get away from the naysayers and the negative and the doubters and just take the knee before the Lord and believe that he's going to move. Believe that we lay hands on the sick and they recover. Believe that God's going to make a way where there seems to be no way. I love the stories where people can't explain what happened except, I, I guess it was God. Yeah, I guess it was. And to me, sharing those testimonies speaks volumes to people that don't know the Lord as their Savior. It speaks volumes to them. What better way to say, hey, it's nothing we did. God showed up. Every one of us, you know, I was talking to, to Gary Rayburn about this. Every one of us has a testimony. That is real. That's what happened in your life. That's the easiest thing to talk to somebody about Jesus about. How many of you know your own story? You know where you were, and you know where God took you. Share it. You don't have to go, uh, John three sixteen for God so loved. That's great. But you don't have to worry about being technically right when you can be, this is my life. This is what happened. This is what I've seen God do in me. I'm just sharing it with you. It's real. People understand that. They can relate to that. So again, sometimes I got away from it. Get away from the naysayers. Get away from the negative talkers. Go somewhere else. Pray. Also, Elijah teaches us in desperate times, take the matter to God in a spirit of persistent prayer. A lot of times when we pray for something one time, what do we do? Quit. Well, that didn't work. Persistent prayer. He did it three times. And I'm, I'm believing if it would have took 72, he would have prayed it 72 times. Persistent. Not quitting. Don't be afraid to keep praying repeatedly about something, even if you don't get your answer right away. Keep praying. Keep praying for that son or daughter that doesn't know the Lord right now. Keep praying. 
You know, I got to thinking about this as I was putting this together that when do we persistently pray right now? And I was like, well, I pray for my food every time I eat. And I'm like, holy cow, we pray over our food more persistently than we do the power of God showing up in a situation. Truth. I pray for my, I don't eat breakfast usually, but at least two times a day I'm praying over my food. Can I say the same thing about praying over a situation that I need God to change? Another thing Elijah teaches us is God can meet our pain with his power. Right in the middle of what you're dealing with, God can show up in a big, big way and change the situation because he's all-powerful. And again, that desperate times can be great times of learning. Um, that God can teach us so much right in the middle of the junk that we go through if we'll just listen and see what he's trying to show us. Lessons that God shows us in this is that he protects, is that he provides, that he's powerful, and again, that he has the final word. So until God says, yes, or no, it's his final word over the situation. And I pray and I pray and I pray until I get that final word. And I understand that no situation is hopeless. No situation is so down and out that God can't flip it around for the good. God has that final word. If our praise team would come back up this morning. I don't know what you're dealing with in here this morning. If you guys just bow your heads for a minute. Go ahead and stand. Some of you in here may be dealing with something that makes you want to give up right now. You're tired. You're physically, you're emotionally, you're exhausted. And you're thinking about giving up. You've lost hope. Whatever it is this morning, I'm here to tell you that God, it's not over till God says it's over. Whatever it is that's going on, it's not over till God says it's over. And I don't care if you've prayed over something multiple times, God has the final word. And I'll say that again. You've prayed and you've prayed and you've prayed. Rick, I've been praying for five years. God has the final word. Not you, not me, not somebody else in this church. Don't stop praying for that. God has the final word. And I'm up here telling you this morning that I believe in the power of God. I believe that God still saves. I believe that God still heals. I believe that God still does miracles. I believe that God has the final word. And I believe that he still, to this day, into the future, wants to make himself known to us in all situations. 
So right now, Father, we come to you. We know that you have the final word. And whoever right now, Father, whoever is in here right now, they're dealing with something, they're struggling with something, doubt has crept in, remind them that you're in control. Remind them that you are the source of strength. You are their comfort in the middle of the pain. And God, you're the one that restores when there's things that have been lost. So Father, whoever it is this morning, it's multiple people, you are the final word, God. And I encourage them this morning, Father, to move from their seats and respond. To push past the hurt and the pain and whatever it is they're dealing with and come up here, God, and and expect have an expectancy for you to move. Father, I just pray boldness and courage in people right now to respond. If that's you this morning, I ask you to come. That you need to get in your mind that God has the final word and it's not over yet. That God is a God that heals, that God's a God that does miracles, that restores, that brings salvation. If that's you, respond and move. And if our deacons, George, can help me out, for the ones that come. No negativity. We're going to push that away right now and believe in the power of God and the power of His Holy Spirit to move in the situation. We've seen it this week. And God, we're, we're coming with an expectancy this morning for you to do the same thing that you've been doing yesterday, today, and forever. In Jesus' name, will you move? We respond right now.